Welcome to RPG Ramblings with Jeff Jones. This is a weekly show exploring the various details of the tabletop RPG hobby through discussions with interesting people. Today, Nick Barron joins me. We talk about Breaker Press, his standard setting, running a Patreon, and much, much more. Time to get this punk rock show on the road. Sisters and brothers, it is time to get rambling. Hello, Nick. Hello, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. Well, you know, uh, since uh, I think it's been, what, uh, a few months, been about three or four months since uh, we met yep. in the back of Trevor's car. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, he was trying to find medication. We we're trying to figure out a place to, to, to eat. And I thought, you know what? I got to have Nick on my podcast sometime. <laughs> You're like... I'm going to grab the, the most difficult person to eat with and have, have him on my podcast. <laughs> well, um, you know, it was kind of, a, it was strange. I, I know Trevor um, a fair amount. I never met Brian before. <clears throat> and there's you and you, you guys were like a, a kind of an eclectic uh, trio. And I think with me yeah. added to the mix, it was just kind of funny. I was, it was just kind of funny being an out, I don't say an outsider, but an observer more so. Um, it seemed like, uh, it seemed like um, Trevor Stamper and Brian, uh, they seem like brothers and they almost seem like, yeah. they, they almost seem like two sides of the same coin, like wildly deep knowledge in certain things, but they have their different aspects, but yet they're welded together in a way that like, I think between the two of them, you could probably understand any sort of esoteric thing that you need to know by asking them. That's 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 a very accurate assessment. Yes. And then <laughs> I got a punk rocker next to me. I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but not just any punk rocker uh, with, a, with a variety of experiences and also uh, a pretty deep uh, understanding of, uh, of Dungeon Crawl Classics and a YouTube channel and. Um, and uh and experience a kickstarter so i just thought you know what it's just kind of funny you know that's how games can be we can have a, a, a eclectic group of people all together in a car searching for dinner and having a good time and having hardly ever met uh before so i thought yep. you know what <laughs> yeah no, that was that was a good evening it was a good con but it was a good evening it was it was um you know i was pretty burned out work's been pretty stressful and the Kickstarter stuff got me pretty, it was pretty stressful. And I just thought, you know what, just spend some time hanging out. And uh, that's what it was. Uh, <laughs> yeah, hanging sure. out with, with people. Indeed. Indeed. But, uh, but yeah, no, the, the, uh, I am, I, I'm surprised that, that Trevor and I seem to have become fast friends because he comes from this, this world of academia. And as you said, he esoteric deep knowledge. And here I am. And he's also very like, um, he's very by the book because that's how academia is. Yes. And here I am, I'm this, this guy. And I'm like, I'm like accounting, having an account. What is that? (laughs) Um, and, uh, uh, just, uh, you know, Punk rock uh, taught me that I could do anything that I wanted to do, uh, and you just did it. And so uh, when I when I ran into like you know I I had wanted to be a game designer when I was a kid, and then I found punk rock and got deeply immersed in that 
um, for 20 years and then came back full circle. And then all of a sudden uh, I ran into this game, Dungeon Crawl Classics, and there was a full zine culture around it. And I was just like, this is this is me uh, in game form. And uh, um, and somehow. I met Trevor through that, um, which is it's just odd. Um, but that's part of what I love about Dungeon Crawl Classics is the way it you know, draws all of these and about gaming in general. It just draws all sorts of people from different walks of life together. Well, I think, it, and I'm kind of more solely ebbing into uh, into Dungeon Crawl Classics. It definitely has a, a lot different vibe and feel yeah. and direction and um, aesthetic. Yeah, and, and so it 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 it, it is very unusual because it's kind of. Um, yeah, and even going back to, I've even used your uh, YouTube videos for trying to understand things like the luck mechanic. <laughs> well, I'm 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 glad people are watching them. It it makes me very happy. Um, but yeah, no one of the one of the things that I found super interesting when I started making RPG content for Dungeon Crawl Classics was that uh, so. One of the artists that I worked with early on, this guy, Mike Tomirot, he was in a band called Black SS, Black Sheep Squadron. Um, and uh, uh, he had fallen in love with art because of the Monster Manual and the Fiend Folio for Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. And then he got into like Fangoria magazines and what have you, and then stumbled into punk rock. And so, so I ended up uh, working with him as an artist and uh, but he had been so far removed from gaming that, uh, you know, he's like, oh, this is cool. This is like the stuff that I used to look at. But then when I uh, did my uh, Kickstarters for uh, Rabid Dogs and the Precipice of Corruption, uh, I noticed that, hey, a lot of these people that backed my uh, my campaign, they look like people that I know. And as it turned out, some of them were actually people that I know, um, because uh, like uh, one of the guys that's like uh, um, big in the Pittsburgh um, Pittsburgh uh, DCC community. He was in a band called Crucial Unit, and my band played with his band a bunch of times. Oh, neat! So it was just funny that uh, that there was this kind of like full circle moment where, um, you know, these these people that I had been disconnected from for you know the last decade, uh, all of a sudden were stumbling back into my life because they were all you know uh, punk rockers that got involved in uh, gaming, then punk, and then back into gaming again. Well, it's it's interesting because not only is it that they just got back into gaming, but you know, to actually, you know, come in the direction that of, of material that you're writing content for yeah. is really pretty. That's pretty astounding. Yeah. So is it just because of you think some sort of association and name they learned about you, or is it just that they actually gravitate to the same sort of stuff that you that you're writing to that you're writing? It's it's, it's definitely a gravitation thing. Uh, there is. The, the combination of uh, the aesthetic, um, because, you know, not everybody that makes third party uh, DCC content goes, you know, deep into the like black and white, um, really kind of like um, harsh and uh, brutal kind of aesthetic. Um, but, uh, you know, if you, if you grew up like me flipping through the Fiend Folio for hours and hours and hours, you know, staring at Russ Nicholson, uh, um, R.I.P., uh, art, uh, you, uh, you just, you gravitate towards an aesthetic and a feel. And, um, when I discovered Dungeon Crawl Classics, like the, the Gonzo stuff was interesting, but for me, the thing, like when I read about 
you know, in the DM section, there's a whole thing on, uh, on, uh, you know, keeping the world really small and, you know, traveling is very dangerous. And there's all these things that really led, led me to think of it as a grim dark game, as opposed to a gonzo game. And so that was the direction that I went in. Um, because yeah, for, for me, I wanted to feel more like, uh, Russ Nicholson art, um, than, uh, necessarily, uh, you know, flying through space in a van as cool as that might be. Yeah, I find it to me, you know, it's maybe uh, I, I think the theme folio, the best part was the art. In fact, I think most of the monsters were actually pretty lame, uninteresting nonsense. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, in all honesty, there were a lot of a lot of monsters in the fiend folio that never saw light of day at my table anyway. But yeah. um, but the fact of the matter was, is. It was probably other than when I because the the monster manual was the first was one of the first books that I ever got. But in terms of just flipping through and looking at art for the sake of art, I think Fiend Folio was the book. Right. It's almost, you know, I didn't think about it. So now it's they're almost like in 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 verse relationship. Like there's there is some evocative uh, monster manual art. Yeah. But really, the magic really was in the the creatures, the, the write ups. Where I think the fiend flow is the opposite. Yeah. It's just like the art is absolutely spectacular. Almost every single piece. It's just that a lot of it's just like, oh, we get another version of an underwater or an underground dweller. Okay. Yeah. Do I really need this. Or, you know, it's just like, uh, but, um, and I think part of it might also, you know, especially with AD&D, with the system, there, there, there's not a lot of, of, um, there was a lot of variation that you could easily add, where I think much later, the different powers and different things people started to add, uniques became more common. Mm-hmm. Yep. No, that's that's fair. That's fair. Um, but yeah, no, the uh the there's just <laughs> it's it's funny thinking back and and like I can I can picture the art for the Zvart in my <laughs> head so vividly, and that was not one of the best pieces of art for sure. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're yeah, they are all. I would say, yes, they're all kind of just as images. Um, and, and, and but you know, even but there's has been a number of the the get the get Yankee and uh, was it the get really, yeah, um, those are both really fun, uh, um, uh, creatures. I mean, those are really, I probably the, the standouts of, of them all. Mm-hmm. It's kind of interesting, you know, some have <clears throat> you know, some have. Like I think the Death Knight probably continues, and maybe like the, uh, um, and the gifts and the um, like. I just thought of another one. I just, I just dropped it, but there has been a few that actually have. Oh, the Kenku, I think, took on life mm-hmm. of their own. Um, but uh, yeah, the rest of them are you know just kind of here and there. So 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 it was really the the reading of the 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 GM's advice. So do you think if if it hadn't I guess would would their would alternate world look like if if they didn't have that GM's advice about the small world? Like, so this this is this is interesting. So mm. I am a Greyhawk super fan, and so when I first got the uh, the uh, DCC Quick Start rules, because that's where I started, uh, I got the DCC Quick Start rules, and it doesn't have a lot of supplemental information. So I was like. I flipped through it. I was like, the concepts are cool. I love the art. Um, all of this connects with me. 
Um, but originally I, I was like, I'm just gonna, uh, write my, you know, create my own little, my own little dungeon, uh, set it in, uh, in the Yamanry, uh, uh, in, uh, Greyhawk. And, uh, that's, I'm just gonna, you know, run a, an adventure for my friends and see how it goes. And, uh, it was when I got the DCC rulebook as a birthday present from, uh, from my friend Hal that I actually read the DM advice. And that is when my brain got cranking and I started just instead of like trying to, uh, you know, relive my past with, uh, Greyhawk, I was like, Oh no, this is, this is, this is fuel for for what i want to create uh and so uh you know pushed pushed the greyhawk map off to the side and was like all right let's 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 do this um and i listened to a lot of uh celtic frost <laughs> and uh merciful fate and just went went for it so yeah like that scene in the blues brothers where they're in the church <laughs> and jake uh, has a light come down on his face i see the light yep yep <laughs> And then, I, and then I started doing backflips <laughs> down the aisle. <laughs> so uh, it's kind of funny, at least that's how I can be sometimes, is you kind of have an idea, have an idea, another idea, and then you smash them together, and it's like, you know, whatever, the, the by the power of Grayskull or whatever, it's a, it's a transformation experience where all of a sudden it's like, now I understand. I understand the pattern. I understand how the universe works. Yep. <laughs> I'm on a vision quest. Yeah, no, it's 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 funny how how that stuff works. Um, in fact, the thing that I, I always go back to uh, when talking about how all of all of my little Zine Empire started all goes back to a line from a Celtic Frost song that I misheard because uh, you know I didn't have the lyric sheets to this record to Megatherian by uh, by um, Celtic Frost, but there's a, a line that I always heard, and I, I've been listening to this this record since I was a teenager, and I always heard the line as the crops have failed. And so the whole premise behind my whole setting is that there's a famine because the crops have failed. And as it turns out, when I finally did go uh looking for the lyric and I, you know, typed typed that line into Google, the, the crops have failed, uh Celtic Frost nothing comes up and i started digging through the lyrics to every single one of the songs it's actually the cross has failed <laughs> wow uh, uh, so uh a little darker um it but, is. Uh, <laughs> but uh regardless it's it's because of one misheard lyric uh that i had misheard for um you know 30 years that uh all of my zine empire exists <laughs> Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting how that is. You know, you wonder, but there may have been something else your brain would have latched onto for, yeah. for one reason. But but no. right, so something from your youth, you heard it. It, it was very, uh, I guess. It, did you ever see? Um, oh, um, was it? You probably never seen Sarah Plain and Tall, have you? What is it? Sarah Plain and Tall. No, it's a Christopher Walken movie with uh, okay. with. Um, I forget who's the one that real famous actress, forget her name. But there was a second to the series where um, he goes, and I think she leaves to go to the coast or home, and he's on the porch, rocking in the rocking chair, watching the fields die. Yep. And it's just a very, you know, there 
enjoying the rain of the east as it's coming through the ocean and he's just rocking back and forth just watching the crops just just die so <laughs> dark i like it yeah, it's like and so anyway so so that led to the setting so so what is the name of the setting um i just call it stennard it's not the greatest name um but uh, uh that's the town it's it's interesting that um, you know, some people and this this comes up a lot in in RPG discourse is, uh, you know, some people they get the idea for their world and they like want to build this world. And I, on the other hand, I start at the smallest common denominator and I'm like, OK, um, you know, I started D&D with, you know, keep on the borderlands and the village of Hamlet. And so when I started writing this adventure, I was like, I need a town. And so I came up with the name Stennard and uh, and wrote down uh, I drew a, drew a map that's not uh, entirely the same as the map that's actually in the book or in the zine. Um, but uh, I you know drew up this map and came up with the names for uh, some people, and uh, that was that was the start. I had a town and I had a dungeon, and let's go for it. And it, I just I just keep adding pieces on and building it out um, so that it is a, a fully fleshed out thing. But uh, yeah, my, my whole, my whole design aesthetic is start small and build on things, which was perfect for when I was reading, you know, the, the DM notes in, uh, in the, uh, or judge notes in the uh, DCC rule book, because that really, worked with my brain and how I, I I go about things. Your world is small, you know, everything, you know, nobody travels more than 50 miles and, uh, you know, you don't know anything more than the next town over. And, uh, that for how I design things, that was perfect. So well, I think there's two, two good ideas behind or good reasons for doing the way you're doing. One is a, it's a much more sensible approach to, to design. Cause in a sense, you know, nobody, it's kind of like a viewer of a television show. Nobody sees except what's on camera. Exactly. You know, everything else, it's like nobody knows or even probably even cares. I mean, really probably, you know, much of the stuff that goes on in the background, no player cares about, but just the GM cares. But I think the the other one is by confining it, the the actions that the, the characters make have much more personal uh, stakes. Yes. And and they're in this environment. They can't necessarily leave this. It's not like it's a hard part about Star Wars. You're just you're in a different planet. You're in a different planet. You know, it's like you know, you're if you're confined, it's like you got to live with the, with the, with the situation you're creating, both good yeah. and bad. It, it, it's it's interesting that you mentioned that because uh, uh, during the pandemic, I was playing in a uh, playing in a regular group that was playing Scum and Villainy online. And Scum and Villainy, uh, if you're not familiar, it's a story game that uh, is uh, based on the Fortune of the Dark system. And uh, it is Star Wars or Firefly or Cowboy Bebop. Uh, uh, you can turn it into any of the, any of those things, but that's the intent of it. Um, and uh, our game master uh, was, you know, sending us to different, different planets, but... He, in order to create something evocative for different planets so that you like have this like idea, Oh, this is what this planet is like. It's a lot of work. Um, and so, uh, they struggled with, uh, you know, 
it they they seem to struggle with you know trying to make each planet feel unique uh instead you kind of like the uh like on tatooine uh moss moss uh you know you just kind of get this like micro shot of something because that's all you really are going to interact with but also all you have time for as a designer um especially when you're just making stuff off up off the fly off of prompts um but yeah but one of the things that we talked about in the car that uh, um, also connects to all all of this stuff is that it also worked for my brain because I recently had figured out uh, that I have ADHD. And so uh, I gravitated to the zine culture of DCC and also, you know, this design principle because uh, I can get my brain focused on something for 32 pages. Um, but once once I start to exceed 32 pages, I kind of fall apart. And so I was able to, uh, you know, OK, I'm going to I'm going to do a zine that is just evil priest spells or I'm going to do a zine that is just this, you know, this one encounter uh, spread out over 20 pages. Uh, and so it was something that allowed me to just also build in micro increments uh, based upon what my brain could focus on for a certain amount of time. <laughs> Well, I think it's in a sense it, it works out really well, you know, doing that. I mean, it can be overwhelming trying to do something massive. And in fact, you may not even have the skills to really do something massive too. Um yeah. starting out. So, you know, you you do a, a few zines here, do a few zines there, and you're like, okay, uh, maybe my next one will be a little bit bigger. And uh and maybe it never will. But I mean, you start to kind of get in a flow and in understanding and develop the muscles. And, and pretty soon it's like, you know, generally with every project I do, I generally, with, especially with layout, I, I try to learn one new, one or two new things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same. Actually, actually I, I got dragged kicking and screaming into doing layout. Um, I actually just saw a, an on this on this day or memories uh, thing on Facebook um, from 2011, where I was uh, railing about how. Uh, Photoshop made me want to smash my computer into pieces. And uh, uh, my uh, um, friend Hale, who uh, bought me the DCC rulebook, he uh, he and I uh, met, we were introduced, we both are old, uh, um, he's actually much younger. He's He's a, a, a you know early thirties uh, punk rock guy. I'm a, uh, you know, late forties punk rock guy. Um, but, uh, but we got introduced to each other because we both had an interest in gaming and punk. And so uh, uh, he found out that I was designing this game called Broken Contract, which is was my first project before I got involved in DCC. And it's a sci fi thing. And he got super excited about it. And so we became fast friends. And uh, he originally was doing all my layout work for me and him being being a young guy and he's from like the maker community he's one of those guys that uh you know the the way you learn is by doing and i'm like okay that's great um but i hate this so you do this and uh, a point was reached where he was finishing up his uh his uh computer science degree and he just didn't have time to do layout for me anymore and he's like uh we're gonna uh, I'm going to build you a computer that can handle InDesign and I'm going to show you how to in- use InDesign and you're going to do this yourself. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to. And uh, he, he, as I said, dragged me kicking and screaming. He, sh- he, he would show me how to do certain basic things. And now it's like, you know, I, 
any anytime I get stuck, I know that I can I can lean on him. But uh, ultimately, you know, I am now self sufficient because of him. You know, the the the, the teach a, teach a person to fish uh, um, analogy. Um, but uh, but yeah, I I am super grateful that there are people like him that uh, uh, can uh, convince me that uh, learning new things is always the best option. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. So I know for me, you know, as we discussed, I don't, I've not been diagnosed at all. And I don't, mm. I'm not, don't have the HD uh, or hyperactive part, but I definitely have, I think, attention deficit. I hate to say deficit because it doesn't even feel like attention deficit, but it's because we can have really good attention <laughs> sometimes. It's just, <laughs> no, that's when you, when you learn about it, you, you find out that, that your brain is easily distracted, but you can hyper focus on the things that you're interested in. Yeah. It's like any, anything else that you're not interested in just kind of gets pushed out of your brain. Um, yeah. I, even if something I'm not very interested in, I can, I can finagle myself to hyper focusing on that. Mm. Um, but I do find, I think too many things starts becoming exhausting and I do find myself going down being distracted. Work can be bad just because there's too many too many things going on at once. Um, and I have to sometimes create a list and then follow that list regardless yep. of, <laughs> Oh, I need to, I need to, I'm doing a thing. Well, I need to check my email to see if this guy responded. Well, I checked my email. It's like, well, wait a minute. There's another email that's, that's shown up since then. It's like, stop. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, the, I'm a very much a, uh, I have to do a thing. I can't, I can't read instructions. I normally have to do it, fail. Then, then the best bet is to watch a YouTube video. Yes. <laughs> I same. <laughs> and so I think I was pretty fortunate with, uh, I think because I spent so much time with Photoshop, not extreme amount. I've done a fair amount of Photoshop. So I was already familiar with layers and such. So it wasn't hard for me to take the next step, uh, to, um, to layout, but I think what what's nice about layout is there are rules, mm. and you can learn the rules. And so there is a structure and order that you can create. It may not always be the most imaginative, uh, but you follow certain rules. It's like you know, like for instance, like you know, like there are certain types of fonts that are great for for text. Yep. Just stay with those. There's a certain size font size. Stay with that. You know, I mean, there's there's you know. And you can build up just by learning the simple rules um, and have something that's that's adequate. Yeah, I know. I that all of that part was easy. That was the easy stuff. Um, uh, wrapping wrapping text around images and things like that. That's where I was like, oh, this is awful. I hate this. <laughs> yeah, but I learned it. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird because I also use uh, I use. Um, Publisher as well, Affinity Publisher. So I've used them both, both uh, InDesign. Um, they both have their good points or bad points, but boy, InDesign sure is clunky, but it still does some things very well. Mm-hmm. It's a standard, yeah. I guess. Yeah, I, ha- I haven't messed with Affinity at all. Um, you know, once once I learned a thing, I was like, okay, I'm going to stick with this thing. Uh, and, you know, luck, luck, luckily, I, I, I am, I'm not paying a monthly subscription, so. Well, that helps. So I'll see. The thing is, my <laughs> daughter has been paying, so it's worked out for me to use uh, the Adobe. But I just, I but I've already paid for the the other, and I also 
I feel it's kind of, you know, there, there's always a possibility that, you know, affinity could go under. I mean, any company yeah. can, but I, I, since it's not a subscription service, I still have the product. And so yes. I, in a sense, it kind of future proofs it for me. Um, but again, also, I still occasionally use that in design and I definitely use Photoshop because nothing really beats Photoshop for doing certain things. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't rely on it heavily, uh, because it's, it still frustrates me. Um, but there's, there are certain things like, uh, like when I, when I build stat blocks, things like that, I, I do all that in, uh, in Photoshop and then. Uh, everything else is is all uh, in design. So the the beauty of publisher or with Affinity is that if you're doing publisher, you can switch between the designer and with photo easily. Like you just click a button and you're in the next program, mm-hmm. and it all works well. Yeah, uh, it just doesn't have all the the full features, especially with the photos. Doesn't really is it doesn't compare. Um, if you're just doing minor stuff, it's fine. Um, but it's it's not Photoshop. Yep. The content aware fill is just um amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it saved me a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of time, especially uh, doing photography. So so you so you've been how long have you been doing the, the layout for your work? Um let's see. What year did Precipice of Corruption came out. That that was the last thing that he worked on. So, Precipice of Corruption was twenty twenty. Um. So yeah, I, I I think I started doing doing all my layouts two years ago, two and a, two two and a half years ago. Uh So, so yeah, that was uh. That was that was the the turning point was like, OK, yeah, here, you know, this this is this is all you. But now it's it's, you know, since I've gotten comfortable with it, you know, like and I, I definitely do lots of lots of cheater things like, uh, you know, if I'm if I know that I'm going to do another pamphlet because uh, I, I like doing pamphlets for my Patreon, uh, I just pull up the previous pamphlet and then uh, uh save it as a new file. And then I just start swapping everything out um, because rather than build it, build it all from scratch, it's like, okay, here, the, the only thing that I run into with that is then uh, uh, when I'm doing the, the proofing, I just got to make sure that, you know, <laughs> there's, there's nothing yes. left behind from the previous thing. <laughs> what you could do is you could uh, uh, save as a template. Yeah. And then just remove the text and just put like a couple words for the heading text whatever and then and then is i'm the same thing because that's the thing i also suffer from it's those details that will get us yes (laughs) the and in fact it happens even to the even happens to the 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 big uh the big bigger publishers uh i think somebody i think somebody actually put some non-commissioned art into a book just intended it for a placeholder. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it got published. It's like, oops, yep. <laughs> it's like we didn't pay for this art. It's like, I, I, I can totally see, see how that could happen. You know, I, I, uh, <laughs> there's, uh, one of the pamphlets I did for Patreon. Uh, I, I wish, I wish I had it in front of me, but, uh, um, I basically cut and pasted the, 
um, NPC description because um, it was a um, a chart with uh, with sixteen NPCs, and I cut and originally cut and pasted the exact same NPC sixteen times, and then went in and edited all the details, and uh, the the uh, lawful <laughs> the lawful aligned dog uh, is listed as its uh, motivations hates civilized society. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that doesn't make any sense. Well, actually, I hate to say this, Nick, <laughs> but I, I think that's rather good. <laughs> In fact, I, I would say that I would, I would, I would lean into that one. I think that's actually pretty stinking good. If you're going to make any mistake, that's like probably one of the best mistakes to make. <laughs> so, if anybody's listening to this, has around the common fire. I'm sorry. <laughs> dog the lawful dog hates civil society <laughs> but you know these things happen well yeah and sometimes dogs do hate civil society that's why they're out in the, that's why they're running out of the wild <laughs> <laughs> but uh that also is is that's one of one one of the disadvantages of um with my patreon i i produce content every month and i ship content every month and so there's there's that grind it's like right now um you know we're already five days into june and i usually like to ship a project the first week of june and so i'm uh smashing together this month's uh pamphlet uh i was smashing it together over the weekend and it's like all right you know i gotta get this done i gotta i gotta keep keep the the um the patrons happy but at the same time i gotta make sure that it's something that they they're gonna want to use um and so um there's that that drive that i gotta get this done but it's gotta be good and not have hates civil society for a dog <laughs> i don't know <laughs> I, I i think i think there ought to be a dog or an animal in some way in each in each uh each uh each module or whatever that has some zine has some sort of uh, weird quirk, <laughs> nope. you know, and, and, you know, for a GM, it's like, you know, uh, you can put that dog and maybe all it does is, is stares at the adventurers and then uh, shakes his head and walks away. You're <laughs> just like left wondering. <laughs> you feel judged. <laughs> I mean, dogs are good at very good at being judgy so <laughs> i can see it yeah and so the the so there's a lot of different ways to try and generate um you know money whether it's just to trying to you know pay for co costs of materials and, and paying for subscriptions to mm. photoshop and whatnot um but so you know one's kickstart but the other one's is patreon so so how long have you been doing the patreon uh, Patreon has been going, I think for, I'm just going to look rather than fucking out of my behind. Um, but, uh, it's been either one or two years. I think it's been a year and a half, but let's, let's take a look. Uh, my first patron was june 9th 2021 so yeah i guess i get i get i guess we're coming up on the two-year anniversary so uh and it's patreon I, I i had to really struggle with patreon at first because 
I needed to figure out what my niche was, not in terms of what type of content I was going to create. Uh, Cause I, you know, I based it on, on my DCC standard setting from the start, but it was one of those things where, uh, you know, you know, when I was just like, okay, I'm just going to treat it like a blog and put up blog posts. There'd be months where I would put a bunch of stuff up and then others where uh, one of my lo- loyal patrons would be like, Hey, uh, are, are we going to get anything gameable this month? <laughs> I was like, oh, damn it. Cause sometimes when you're doing blog posts, you're not really thinking about the gameability of things. Yeah. You're just like, Oh, Hey, this is, this is my latest YouTube video or Hey, uh, um, I've been thinking about this lately, but it, you know, people wanted content that they were going to use. And so, uh, um, then I got this, this idea that uh, I, I just wanted to, just wanted to crank out something small. Cause I was, I was in a real rut, um, the summer of last year, um, cause I had this management job and it was super stressful and I just, I couldn't focus on anything. And I was like, I just I like this idea of these mothership pamphlet adventures. I'm going to make a pamphlet for DCC. And so I made this pamphlet. And because there were some people that uh, had been waiting a long time for uh, one of my Kickstarter uh, re- uh, rewards, I just sent everybody that had filled out their survey this pamphlet. And I was like, wait, this is something I could pull off every month. This is something I could do. And when I switched to that, then the combination of um, having my regular YouTube videos and the Patreon with monthly content that gets shipped to people's houses, then it actually uh, turned into something that was worthwhile for them and worthwhile for me. So, yeah, it's definitely goes to show. It's like, you know, I've dabbled a lot of things, but the problem is, is it's like you really have to put a focus mm-hmm. um, and figure it out. It's not, e- it's not easy. I mean, what we're doing, but once you start getting it, figuring out the path, uh, yep. it becomes easier once you start to see it. So, yeah, I've, I've tried a number of different things and I just mainly did. I use the Patreon just to just barely just cover my Zoom costs, but I've not really have not figured out how I guess I don't guess I don't know what I'm doing with a lot of things. I don't really know what I'm doing with Twitter. I don't know what I'm really doing with Facebook. I really don't know what I'm doing with Patreon. Uh, the only thing I seem to know what I'm doing is with Kickstarter. That's not the only thing I know what I'm doing. Yeah, no, it's it's funny. You watch certain people, and certain people are masters. Like like Levi Combs is a master of Twitter and just social media because he manages to to put out something every single day and um and just projects this positivity out into the world in a way that I can't. Um and so you, you you watch certain people like that. And of course, that, that's going to garner a, a, a ton of goodwill. And then you look at uh, um, uh, Necrotic Gnome, uh, Gavin uh, Norman, uh, you know, he's got his Dolmenwood Patreon. And, uh, you know, that was a thing. I mean, OSE blew up just because of how well it's laid out. But also people were religious followers of his Patreon because he constantly put out content that people could use. Um, and that tied into stuff that, that he had done. And so, so people just, they gravitate to that sort of thing. And so it's, it's really about finding your, your niche and, uh, and just running with it. Um, and yeah, I mean, you've, you've, you've done very well with Kickstarter. I've, I've done pretty good with Kickstarter. 
Um, but uh, well, you may actually uh, have to look. I have to go back and look at your numbers. You actually may be doing better than me. This is funny. I I I don't know. Um, you know, I like this last Kickstarter was was four thousand eight hundred. The best Kickstarter that I ever had was um under eight thousand. And Fate of the Fly God, how much did you do on that one? No, it was only it was not including postage. It was it was probably like sixty. Uh, I think it's probably about sixty eight hundred. Okay, but but you just told you just took the postage out. Yeah, but yeah, none of mine have postage anymore. Okay, gotcha. but 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 my costs are high for that. Yeah. So the the actual why say better? Like for instance, you posted something on your fourth out. The I think for your latest Kickstarter, if I hit over four thousand, I can make my uh, was it my mortgage payment for the year. Uh, my my uh, essentially, if I did um, fifteen hundred, I can pay my mortgage for a month. Uh, if I get four thousand, I basically can cover my mortgage for three months. But oh, three months, yeah, yeah. But it is it is worth noting that I live in this tiny house, so I engineered my whole life in order. So. We're we're gonna we're gonna take a really quick deep dive into my life and my brain. So in my 30s, I had made the decision. I I had gotten my second wind in punk rock, and I was like, "Punk is my life. This is what I want to do. I want to be in a touring band. I want to do my record label, and I'm going to engineer my whole life in order to be able to do that." I was single at the time, uh, and so I literally I I took a a day job that I hated, um, and uh, use that uh, to I was <laughs> leasing apartments in a luxury high rise building in Chicago. Uh, and I parlayed all of that into and I only did it six months a year. Um, and so I would work for six months and then do band stuff for six months. And I did that uh, for four years. And that was my whole life. And it wasn't until a you know a woman came into my life and I was like, okay, I'm going to switch gears because I want to, you know, settle down with this woman, yada yada. And so my whole my whole life was engineered around that. And so fast forward to last year and my uh relationship ended, and I was like, what am I gonna do now? And so I ended up uh deciding that I was going to buy a house. Um, that allowed me to live on my zines. And so this this house that I'm saying, my mortgage payment is $400 a month. And so, you know, I, I, I chose a neighborhood that was that was adjacent to the neighborhood that I wanted to be in, but was a neighborhood that people don't generally want to be in. Um, uh, it, it's funny, though, because I absolutely love it. Um, but you know, I've, I've got different standards and different things that I look for in a neighborhood. Um, but I engineered my life so that I could do this thing. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's a choice and, uh, you know, most people don't have the luxury of being able to make that choice. Right. And I, but I think even going back to with your zines, it's like, it's your, it's your costs too. I mean, Mm -hmm. if you keep your costs down. You know, that's why I looked at Tom Wilson, T-H-O-M, Tom Wilson, Tom Wilson. <laughs> I mean, I looked at his zines, his Kickstarter, you know, like, it's like 3,500, but it's like, he just, it's all stock art. He wrote all the content himself. 
I mean, I mean he's making a, a you know, the thirty five hundred dollar Kickstarter. He's probably he's making margin wise way better than I am, like way yeah. better. And but it didn't seem to it doesn't seem to hurt. So, but it just doesn't seem like he's been consistent. So it's like to me, I'm like, you know, of course, everybody has their own things in life, but you know, it's like he can consistently. I'm thinking like Tom, if you could consistently put that stuff out, you know, you'd be doing really pretty good. <laughs> yeah, which is what you're doing. And I don't know how much I've not gone through your your uh, actually seen through gone through your zines and such, and knowing artwork costs and and things and that. But if you keep your if you keep the the costs down, like you know, with even with me with uh, over four thousand with uh, with scoundrels of of uh, Brixton, you know, it's 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 mostly a break even from a yeah. practice standpoint. Yeah, I, uh, I, it's, it's funny when you're like on margin and I'm like, yeah, I, <laughs> I don't calculate any of that. I just, I just know that my, my mortgage is paid and, uh, and my dogs are fed and all right, we, 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 uh, you know, barrel, barrel forward. But it's, it's one of those things where it's like, um, because I don't, I don't calculate those, those things. I feel like a poser when I say this, but uh, um, because I I don't calculate those things. I just look at things like, oh, okay, um, you know, the the money from Tragedy at Woodwich Rise is is uh, you know, I've got this much set aside in the house savings account, and I've got this much set aside in the Kickstarter savings account, um, uh, you know, for printing costs and all and all that. So these 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 monies are separated. And I'm like, okay. Um, you know, how much time do I have before I have to launch another Kickstarter to keep on the treadmill? And so it's like, all right, uh, you know, we're getting close to to time to uh to launch another Kickstarter. You know, uh, you know, I wish I was was better with spreadsheets and and calculating costs and all of that stuff, but I just throw it at the wall and see what sticks and and keep barreling forward. Yeah, I mean, for me, I mean, it, and I'm not as good as I sh- should be, especially following up and and all that. But I definitely, uh, it's very important to me to know whether I'm losing money or making money, because uh, my goal is to never ever <laughs> lose money on a Kickstarter. But everyone's that you know, especially when you're putting money out. The beauty of what you're doing is you're you've created, um, you know, as you're doing your setting. You know that's your IP, and yeah. and it's it's and it's and you're building upon that single thing. For me, I'm still doing a bunch of odds and ends. Yep. And it it's hard to really. Some things are starting to build, like Gary's appendix is building. I'm hopefully over time, you know, scoundrels will build, but mm-hmm. you know, but in this, but a sense, it's like I'm going to put this much money into this. I have no idea if anybody's going to buy it or not. And that's what's hard. But at least I think for where you're at you are experienced enough that without a spreadsheet, you still looking at your bank accounts, you know, what, you know, what's going on. Like, yeah, you can't Wrong. necessarily put it down on a, on, a, you know, on a piece of paper, but there's something in the back of your mind. Like, okay, it's time. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 it's, it is totally a, a matter of look, looking at the bank account and, and looking how the levels are fluctuating. All right. Uh, I got <laughs> to launch the next thing. Um, which isn't, isn't, you know, it's funny. I I feel like a bad adult when I, when I say things like that, but 
you know, it goes back to the, you know, the ADHD brain and, and, you know, I, I have been like this my entire life. And so, uh, it's just how things make sense is what it is. Yeah. And I think, um, yeah, and it, and as long as it's successful, it's not really am I successful? I mean, it, it's meeting the uh, you yeah. know those needs. So it's like if you're saying I'm going to make a living off this, and you're making a living off that. You know, it's working. Yep. Yeah, no, for sure. One of the things that, that you that you said a second ago that uh, you know that's interesting and in, and in looking at. So one of the things about you know with me building on an IP is that um, yes, I have like i will see the same names every single kickstarter which warms my heart um but uh um because there are people that that they're they're invested they're like when i get messages that people are running my content or or what have you um and that they, they, they you know especially uh you know some of my my patrons are really like into it and are running standard campaigns right now oh that's, wow that's such an awesome feeling um but Sometimes I worry that I am going back to the same well too often and I'm not bringing in people because I'm not making other stuff. And one of the things that I look at the success of, you know, your Kickstarters and like, especially like a guy like Levi is that, you know, he's, you know, his stuff isn't interconnected. He's got a, he's got a shtick, um, but none of it's connected. and at least not in a, in a deep way. Right. But, but at the same time, he's got his ardent fans because of the fact that they know that they're going to get a certain level of quality um, from him. They're going to, it's going to hit certain notes um, because of the, the, the nostalgic influences that he pulls off of. And um, I think that though there is value to uh, how I do things, I think in a way, even though there it's, it's, scarier for you because you don't know what's gonna hit i think uh there is definitely a value to creating content that is varied and disparate and not necessarily all you're not putting all your eggs in one basket as they say um which i definitely have been yeah and i think for me the reason i haven't but I think it's it's brain wiring is probably a lot of it, and I don't know if it's the uh, if it's me. There's a lot of things I'm interested in doing, or I couldn't just do the one thing continuously. Maybe, maybe that's it too. Maybe I can't just do the same thing day in day out for for years. It would drive me crazy. That might really be the reason. Yeah, I might I might create some sort of economic justification, but it just may come down to. I can't do it any other way. You know, that's one of the, one of the things with, if I, if I knew when I had started this, that I was, okay, I'm just going to build this setting. Um, I, and, and let's say I, there was a, a friend of mine that, uh, that did a Kickstarter that uh, he, you know, was going to do this, you know, lavish hardcover book all on this particular setting that he, uh, he did. And then he, got all the money in and then you know he he did did like a $20,000 kickstarter and then he flaked on everybody and it it just it just killed me to to see somebody do that um 
especially somebody that I I had a, a, a like a an online friendship with and, and you know had met at a couple of cons. Um, but you know, he he did this did this thing where he had this idea that he was gonna, you know, put everything into one thing and then he just fizzled. And that's why when I um you know uh, started doing stuff, it's like I'm gonna keep it small because I don't want that to ever happen. Where where right. where I you know over over promise and under deliver. <laughs> and so so and in, in his case, he just, you know, as I said, he just you know fl- flaked on everybody. But um if I hadn't like this this thing right here, uh the cover of the precipice of corruption, if the precipice of corruption had been just me and I didn't have Hal to support me and my editor Alex to support me, um even that 30 how many pages is this thing? This 40 page module would have killed me because I just had it was so it was big enough and involved enough that it was overwhelming. Um and to to think that I was gonna try and do a like a, a hardcover book or something like that, it would it would it would it would destroy me. Whereas with uh, when I started creating the content for Stenard, you know, like I mentioned that I did a, a book of evil priest spells and it was like, hey, I don't want to I'm, I'm not focused enough to do an adventure right now. But these evil priest spells, this is fun. This is this is a, an aside that I can do that works with my brain that is loosely connected to this thing but is not essential. And that's one of the things that's worked out for me is the fact that all of my stuff, even though it all builds on the same thing, you can totally use the stuff separately because it's designed to be separate. So that also the beauty is in three years, let's say, you could go through, maybe get an editor and you could put it together in a single volume and do your leather bound Kickstarter <laughs> hardback for 20,000 and it's already ready to go. Uh, that'll be pleather, sir. Pleather. Um, oh, but... yes. <laughs> no um, animals made in this product. Exactly. But, uh, but yeah, the, uh, um, I, I'm actually, I, I had a really interesting conversation with Trevor about that because, uh, he said, don't do that because then you'll have this product that will be, a. a you know, a flash thing that everybody will be interested in at one time, and then you'll invalidate all of your zines. And then people will kind of like be not interested in that. He's like, the way you're doing things, he's like, people will keep continuing to buy your stuff. Um, and they can buy it piecemeal and and you know get what they want. And I I've I've internalized that a lot lately, especially because uh the precipice of corruption, the second printing is almost gone. After I uh shipped the uh Cleft in the Mangled Hills and Protectorate of Genuine Kickstarters, um, all of the copies of the Precipice of Corruption will be gone. And so I've started thinking about okay, what would a deluxe edition of this oh, adventure yeah. look like? And um thinking about you know what what Trevor said. I, I was thinking that uh, I would like to do, you know, like a like a hardbound, maybe the size of uh, the Tomb of Black Sand um, by uh, Jacob Hurst. Um, so, you know, like, you know, the same size and scale as a uh, as a OSE book, um, but hardbound 
um because that the, that's essentially zine size which um even though i like this um better for playing at the table um you know people if they're going to get a deluxe edition they want something fancy um but i would take bits and pieces from different zines like some of the town information from the standard courier volume one so that people have enough information to be able to run the town but still would have value for them to own the standard courier volume one if they wanted to go deeper into the town of standard and yeah, so you can also do color too that's another option for your interior oh no never never <laughs> well wait a minute you could just use the color red oh, there you yeah, go. It's, it's, it's it's funny i i do love um like in in trevor zines uh you know the 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 risograph uh where he's got like a spot color or two spot colors i i absolutely love that aesthetic um but i i would never do full color like full color is for covers only uh, and only if it's something lavish, like the, like an advent, an adventure where I want people to be able to like, look at it and be like, Oh, I, you know, I'm, there's just something about the black and white aesthetic that is just more mysterious to me. Um, and is part of what drew me into, um, RPGs in the first place. And that's why, um, I am such a jerk about, about full color. <laughs> No, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, it's it's definitely, um, you know, that's it's, it's a valid choice to make. I mean, it really yeah. is. And I think, in a sense, it's you know, if you feel that's part of the aesthetic of of of, of your publications, you know, you should be consistent with that. Yeah, you know, and it's 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 working out so far. So, no, no, nobody's nobody's ever posted a thing. Why don't you ever do full color? So, I, I guess it's it's going okay. Yeah, because because I did during the Madlands in full color, and then the prices for color just went way up, and it seems like they actually backed down again. So, who knows? Um, I may do another. I do want to do another color book. It's just, um, but it might be further down the road. Maybe maybe twenty twenty four twenty five. We'll see. Yeah. yeah. When when I was doing my sci-fi uh, game, uh, Broken Contract, which was a miniature game, uh, you know, I went for a completely different aesthetic. Uh, I worked with digital artists instead of uh, hand-drawn stuff, uh, and it was all full color. And uh, it's funny, if if I were to uh, do a new edition of Broken Contract now, <laughs> I would uh, I would switch to to uh, art that was drawn and and or painted uh and i would all the interior would be black and white instead of uh um all all full color well it it definitely provides a more austere look and feel not saying you can't get that with color but you'd have to definitely be very deliberate about your choices uh there but i do find that um and i think it goes back to what you want out of the setting so i mean i think um especially if you're dealing with with harsh conditions and maybe potential like say like a impoverished town i'm not sure if standards <laughs> impoverished but you know yeah. or horror i mean those those all seem to work really well yeah but then again if you wanted to do maybe weird fantasy or science fantasy um color may or may not be may not be needed but 
but probably the with the right art, probably the, the color could actually be really good. Yeah, well, that's, like like Mothership is is most is mostly uh, mostly black and white illustrations. But when you look at like Pound of Flesh or some of the some of the things that they released for Mothership, it's like there'll be like one or two spot colors. And, you know, because Pound of Flesh is you know got pink you know, thrown throughout it. And, uh, you know, it feels sci-fi, but also has that gritty, mysterious quality at the same time. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I think if I were to go back and do broken contract now, it would, I would, uh, lean into kind of how mothership does things a little more than, uh, than cause the, the, the reason why I had gone f- full color was because of the fact that, uh, you know, I wanted to wanted to emulate a lot of the uh, other miniature games. And since everything is pictures of painted models, you have full color all through all throughout in order to because it works better with with, you know, the the um, picture, the photos of painted models. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't I don't think I would go that route again. So the so do you own the models? Oh, for uh, for my game? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, no. So- I, are they 3D models? It, what's What's interesting is that uh, um, I have a a drive full of STL files, and I was just talking with with my buddy Hale um, about uh, you know I should pro- I should probably make those uh, those STLs available for sale at this point, um, so that because I do own, own those files and it would be nice to continue to make money off. But let's say you can also, I I think I've never done this, but you could also use them for the art. You can, you can, but it's no, it, it doesn't, it doesn't look right to me. It doesn't look right. Um, There's just, there's just something about the, cause I mean, they're, I don't know. Well, and I understand that if you just have a gray model and you're taking a picture of it, but I'm, I'm, and this is something I've never, I've, I've thought about because of the, the cost of art and wanting to do sci-fi of actually using, um, I forgot the, not Blender, uh, forget the, the, the free software program and getting models and mm-hmm. then just creating my own scenes mm-hmm. and then using that, um, which I, I thought about doing, but then in, you know, hubristically uh, thinking that was a viable thing without, you know, really considering that it's probably going to take me 80 hours of, of attempts to, before I could finally probably come up with something that would be juvenile at best. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's the thing is that uh, um, like doing it like the, I own the STLs, but I, the reason why I don't do miniature games anymore is uh, why I don't make miniature game uh, content really anymore is because when I was a miniature company, making a mini like one miniature, the investment in terms of because I didn't do my own my own sculpting, uh, it was a thousand dollars per miniature. Yeah, uh, to go through the the whole the whole stage of, and you know you, when you're release you know you do a Kickstarter usually like okay this is these five, these five miniatures. And so like the last Kickstarter I did for broken contract was called the children of Ferrum sky. Um, and it was, uh, four, like two kids, uh, two teenagers and a dog. And it's like, that was a $5,000 investment. 
um, to get that Kickstarter up and running. And let's let's type it. I, I don't think I don't think I got five thousand dollars back. Here we go. The Kickstarter did. Come on. That Kickstarter did two thousand five hundred and ninety seven dollars. <laughs> um so uh so yeah i mean they're beautiful models i'm looking at the picture right now gorgeous um but uh but yeah it uh it that was a, a really hard business uh much harder than the the rpg business but going yeah. back full circle to you and uh and like if you're doing your own sculpts yeah that you know that's that's cool and it would allow you to to position things and and make scenes and what have you but like the investment in time to right. do that would just be incredible and to and if you're paying somebody to do the sculpting the investment in dollars yeah i was me i wasn't necessarily plan on paying anybody or buying sculpts it's simply just saying you know what i really just need maybe a corridor certain atmospherics or on a planet with a certain buildings and maybe some people in an action pose, but I don't necessarily need, you know, but you know, it's just, at that point, I would need to find somebody that that could actually do that kind of work I needed. And at that point, I'm also just be paying an artist. So just, yeah, Yeah, no, like um, I, I I have a, a, an old friend from the, from the um, Chicago punk scene that uh, he does, um does um uh so what's what's the term it's basically scene design for video games and so he basically does 3d sculpting of you know uh a canyon or what have you uh for you to run around and play uh play um you know whatever first person shooter in or what have you and i mean even the amount of time that goes into that stuff because they get really into it like he he'll post things on twitter and it's like you know, these are the best rocks I've ever done, you know, because, you know, you put in a lot of effort and time in order to, in order to, it's like any other form of art. So. Yeah. And that's what's, it's hard. I mean, especially starting out trying to, I mean, you, at least if, I think some people have gotten by with some, some with little art or being very creative, but it's really hard to, you know, gain the notice without having least passable art um yeah at least undercover you know one one of the one of the things that that because i originally didn't use any or i shouldn't say any i I didn't use a lot of stock art um but then i discovered that a number of the artists that i work with uh actually have start stock art portfolios on uh drive through rpg and so my stuff um like you know you you desperation of the hungry which i just just shipped the cover art is a piece, a piece from carlos castillo that i bought off of drive through rpg and it's interesting because i added an encounter uh because i used that art because it loosely fit with the theme but there's a tree and there's eyes in the tree. And I'm like, I, I got to pay off these eyes in the tree because they don't connect to anything else. So then I paid him, I commissioned him to uh, draw a monster um, to represent the monster whose eyes you see glowing in the tree. Um, but uh, that particular, that particular uh, zine 
uh, only had one commissioned piece. All the rest of the art in that zine was from either it was recycled from previous zines or it was art from uh, from Carlos from Drive Through RPG. But the thing that's cool is that when when you work with artists that do both, it's like you can have a like a total tonal consistency. Um, uh, because the uh, you're using the same artist both for commission and stock art. Yeah, I think that that is a good point too. And um, uh, in, in the, the, to me, the danger of stock art is is with the covers because I because I use uh, perplexing ruins for Gary's Appendix One, mm-hmm. loved it, and then. Six months later, somebody was doing a zine, some sort, using that same image for the cover. <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, maybe that person, you know, I don't know the person was copying me or inadvertent copying me or if it's just, you know, the universe just, I mean, it, things happen like that. I mean, it's just, yeah. you know, calculus comes out, you know. Two people not even related come up at the same time, whatever. Yep. But it's just like there's a point where I realize that, you know, that I can't I can't have stock art for a cover anymore. Like for me, I just can't. Like yep. I don't care. It's like <laughs> never. Yeah. No, I I I I feel that like a, a funny non-RPG related story. Uh a bunch of guys that I formed a band with in the early 2000s. We were in a band called No Time Left. Um, we were all fans of a band called Anthem 88 from Florida. And, uh, you know, in our first batch of batch of, of songs that we wrote for our, our demo, uh, you know, we we had a, a bunch of songs and there, there was a lot of bangers on there. But there was one one song that uh, once we had been around for a year, somebody finally noticed that. um it the one song was basically it wasn't note for note an anthem 88 song but it was an anthem 88 song and so we you know we ended up you know dropping it from our set list and not re-recording it on any of our other stuff because essentially it was like having the same cover <laughs> um yeah on, on two two releases um but the the thing is is that um you know stuff like that happens um, I, I get annoyed because now that punk has been around for, you know, 40 years now, uh, the same band names are like there. There are like 10 bands that that I follow right now that are recycled names from bands that existed 20 years ago, um, because that sort of stuff happens, especially when we live in, a, in an age where all 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 this content is accessible. Um, so even if even if you uh, if you didn't order customs custom uh, art uh, commissioned art for a cover um you're gonna it's just like all the people that uh you know i've seen a million different renditions of the uh, cover art of the original AD&D player's handbook um you know as a nod to the right. player's handbook um yeah and that's cool and i and in and, and i think the thing is too it's like you know copying we are all unconsciously copying all yeah. the time, you know, it just, but sometimes it's, you know, we don't really, I'm sure musically it's even worse. I'm sure you're kind of picking along on something on a guitar. Next thing you're doing something, you're going along and somebody says, 
hey <laughs> it's like yes you're right <laughs> like, yeah I, I i i i have uh in a uh this is a band that i love uh, from chicago called the repos and when i was writing for my one band poison planet i i have have uh um uh titles for for riffs that i wrote and it'll say repos rip um because i was ripping off the repos when i was you know trying to write this song um and it's not that i used use note for note but i was trying to write a song in the vein of the repos and so um that was a a way to mark off that okay this was the song that sounds like this so i think you know that you <laughs> said what you said um I think we need a list of those, and those could be titles for sci-fi or cyberpunk adventures. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Repo's rip. Yep. <laughs> that, that could actually be a location. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah. Um, yeah, the, you know, um, what's his name? Uh, Joey Royale. Uh, DCC uh, content creator and and also just a all around interesting interesting uh, RPG guy. Uh, he uh, loves to tout steal like an artist, and I've never read it. Um, but uh, you know the fact of the matter is is that we're all drawing all of our influences um, into stuff, and it, it's interesting. Like even if I try to write a song that sounds like the Repos, or I try to write like the the whole thing behind. Uh, the precipice of corruption was, you know, I was trying to write an, a, a DCC adventure that was in the vein of, of uh, my memories of the keep on the borderlands and tomb of horrors and the things that got me into role-playing games in the first place. And uh, so I, I remember of uh, re- uh, acquiring a copy of keep on the borderlands um probably a year after I had written the first draft and I was, I was uh, reading through uh, reading through some of the descriptions. I was like, how is it that the tone and feel of this description feels exactly the same as this thing that I wrote, you know, 30 years later. And, uh, but at the same time, it was just me trying to channel my memories of this thing from 30 years ago. But, you know, we we carry that stuff. We do. And I think it's and I find it's, you know, it in I think even like with the AR AI art space where there's still a lot of, of you know, uh, there's still a lot of uh, heat and light coming from that whole discussion. And I think it's yeah. definitely something we need to discuss. But but, you know people have been copying art for like a long time. Like in fact, every comic book artist, they could not survive without copying other panels, either maybe not trace some trace, some copy. And then there's a, 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 there's a a Facebook forum called a group called uh, comic book swipes. Mm -hmm. And it's very interesting. I mean, that just how often it's done. And sometimes it's even done with, with um with movie stills mm-hmm. and um you know i think the AI, and, and not to say that we don't need to figure out you know i'm not trying to uh downplay the uh the 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 impact that ar can have but generated art but but a lot of the arguments they use are actually the things that artists typically do now yeah 
not all artists, but I mean, but in general, it's kind of been been going on for a long, long time. You know, it's 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 a complicated uh, a complicated thing. Um, I know I, I I go back to music a lot, um, but uh, 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 during the pandemic, I read the uh, biographies of both um, both uh, uh, Public Enemy and the Beastie Boys, and one of the things that came up in uh, both of those books was how in the 90s when sampling was uh, basically uh, monetized and uh, base, the, the idea was artists felt like they were being ripped off um, by, uh, by these hip hop artists, you know, using these, these samples in their songs. But uh, so, so they, there was backlash and, you know, now uh, some of the classic records of these bands would cost millions of dollars to make just because of the amount of samples. But one of the things that uh, is is important, I think, when thinking about those early days of sampling versus sampling now and also with AI art, is that in the days of Public Enemy, it's like a single song, they had to copy that sample onto a tape. And then they layered those samples And so like a single song might have 20 samples in it, 30 samples in it that were all layered on top of each other to create something new, but somebody had to do it with their brain and be like, I wonder how this is going to be if I put these things together this way. Whereas with AI um, art, it's pulling all of those things but it's not hand selecting those things and it's not somebody figuring out how it's going to go together themselves. Right. And I think in that the way that, um, you know, Chuck D and the members of public enemy would build samples and layer them. That was art. Whereas typing a bunch of prompts into a uh, thing and being like, spit out this thing that I want. There's part of me. It's there. I'm, I've got this conflict because like when you were talking about, uh, you know, designing uh, 3D and then layering things together and it's like the easier solution for you in what you were just des- in what you were describing in that moment would just be to type in a bunch of prompts into AI and come up with a thing. But then there's that part of me that's like, but it's stealing all these things from these other people and it's not you meticulously crafting that thing. It's just creating a bunch. And so I'm very conflicted. It's like, there's, this is this very powerful and interesting thing, but at the same time, it's pulling all these things from all of these people. And some of those people are people that are still trying to make a living off of their art right now. And so it's, it's well, what's interesting because I was, this kind of, to me kind of goes back to photography versus painting. Yeah. This portrait painting died uh, for the most part once, uh, once the camera was invented. Yeah. And I was listening to uh, an amazing podcast called The History of the World in uh, History of the World and Five or History of Rock and Roll and and the 500 songs or just 100 songs. But but anyway, the guy was talking about Andy Warhol Mm -hmm. and he was an illustrator. So apparently back in the 50s, they would they would not take pictures of products and put in magazines. They're all illustrated. Mm -hmm. And then once once a 
the photography was uh, photographs were accepted as being as being um, a a, a uh, passable form uh, into put into advertising. Those those jobs just went away. Yeah, and and it's like you know even back work at Caterpillar, we used to be rooms of draftsmen. Uh, once once AutoCAD came online, all the draftsmen went away. It's just like. Yep. It is definitely a it is a not fun situation as we start getting more and more uh, to a place where less and less people are required or needed or paid to to do the stuff they did. And I don't know what the solution is going to be. It is there. There, there, there's a, a great quote. Uh, I still still go into uh, the the co-op that uh, that I used to manage. Uh, I go and go in there a couple of times a day because it's 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 my refuge and also working from home. It's also a place to, uh, you know, talk to people that I know. Uh, it's my my neighbor, my neighborhood hub. Um, but what uh, there's a lot of artists and, and uh, freaks that all hang out there. And uh, one of the guys said to me, he's like, you know, it's it's funny. I saw I saw this meme. And, you know, we have trained our our uh robot overlords to instead of to do the jobs that uh <laughs> that uh we don't want to do so that we can make art and music and literature we've instead created robots to do the things that we actually enjoy yeah in fact today somebody posted and Facebook thrown all these different groups, but it was a kind of a picture of, of, of a rendition of Batgirl mm-hmm. and it's kind of like gothic setting mm-hmm. and people are going on and on about it. And some saying negative, something positive. I'm looking at this and it was signed at the bottom. Like this is obviously a mid journey mm-hmm. product. Yeah. Nobody had a clue. And I'm looking at all the telltale steins. You know what I mean? It's just like there's a bunch of, they didn't even bother cleaning up the the noise. The the streets are are too narrow. I mean, there's a plant in the middle of nowhere. Yep. But but people, you know, when I look at this, it's like we are, I mean, as far as the the the, the, the war's lost at this point is because you can have really bad renditions of mid-journey images at this point. And most people are fine with it. Yeah. Yeah, I I I I as as I said, it's like when when people first started posting stuff for Midjourney, I was like, "Oh, this is kind of interesting." Um but then there was then I saw all of all of my friends that were artists and, you know, in 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 becoming a game designer, you end up building these relationships with, with people. Um, and you know, this is for some of them, it's their side gig, but for some of them, it's their livelihood. And so you, you, you see these very emotional, uh, um, posts about, uh, uh, stealing their jobs. And, uh, it is, it is, it's one of those things where it's like, no, I want to, I want to make sure that, that people, the the people that make this art that I love, I want to make sure that they keep making this art for, you know, as long as I'm doing this. And so, uh, you know, I, for me, at least for now, have drawn the line in the sand that I'm just going to stick to, to working with artists. 
Well, like what Google's doing, from what I understand, it, it's gone uh, is for their marketplace. You can take a picture of your product, and then it will do like you know how they do the mockups in Photoshop. Mm-hmm. It'll do like mockups of different scenes, and so you you know you can you can have it like you know in a library or you know whatever. I mean, it not necessarily with people in it, but simply you know like as far as product photography goes you know, that's going to go by the wayside, which, you know, I've, I've done product photography myself for, uh, for freelance work, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, I mean, I could probably do the same thing, but it takes me hours and hours and hours and hours of just to do something where it's like, you know, click, click, click. It's going on my, my, uh, my Kickstarter page. Yeah. And I don't know. It's, it's, it's kind of hard. Cause well, even going back with the, even back going back with the advent of digital cameras and with Photoshop and Lightroom and the ability to process, they came out with a lot of these stock Photoshop, uh, stock photo sites that are uh, like Shutterstock, mm-hmm. killed a lot of people making livings off of product photography. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And it, it's, it, I mean, it, it, you know, I don't necessarily want to live in a world where where things don't progress, but at the same time. Um, and you know, certain jobs are always going to become obsolete. Um, but I don't, I don't want artists to be one of them. Uh, and it's, it's interesting when you were talking about the, the product art, I have, uh, a folder of things that I kept from, uh, the seventies and eighties. And, uh, I was flipping through it the other day and I have, uh, the, uh, the, um, instruction manuals for assembling the Death Star Station and a bunch of other Star Wars toys. And all of those instruction manuals were hand-drawn. Yeah. Uh, and so it's like, like I, I remember showing somebody the, the, uh, the um, cover of the instruction manual for uh, assembling the Hoth battle play set. And somebody said to me, man, you should scan that and put that on a shirt because I would buy that. Um, it's, it's, you know, I can't say that I haven't thought about it, even though it's not my art to use. Um, but uh, but the fact of the matter is 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 somebody drew you know yeah. these action figures on this in this battle play set, and it's awesome. And the fact that that isn't a thing anymore really um, is kind of sad um, because I mean, yeah, it's 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 sad that 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 product. Uh, you know, that that bit of art, it was lost to product photography and is now lost to, um, you know, whatever. Yeah, it's kind of interesting if you think about. So the I guess the advances have kind of gone twofold, like you and I are now able to produce zines of sufficient quality of art and production. That would have cost way too much money 20 years ago, 30 years ago. This would not have been affordable for for us, right? You do. <laughs> I don't think that I do. Um, but part part of that is also like if 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 I had stumbled into the zine culture around RPGs 20 years ago, uh it my zines just would look more like the punk zines that i did in the right but i guess but i'm saying as far as (laughs) the way we're doing it now as far as the cost for the typesetting yeah you look at like commissioning art getting the artists properly scanning whatever all that entails 
Yeah. And for the limited runs that we're doing, um, you know, it, it, we would not be able to do it. What we would be doing is going back to the way it was done. But the problem is now is the advances made it so we can do this much cheaper. But the flip side is the expectation is that you have that same level of quality. Yeah. And so it's kind of created this whole, well, I say quality. I don't want to say quality. Uh, production values. Let's put that yeah. down. Because yeah. quality is not, it's, I, don't, I don't want to place judgment on it. Because yeah. it could be the better quality back in the day. And all they were doing is using a typewriter and, and whatever. So, yeah. but, but the, the problem is now we're, you know, in a sense, there's a feeling of being constrained to have to using these to be able to compete. So it's kind of created this two-edged sword. We're able to make better or we're able to make uh, more professional-looking stuff cheaper mm -hmm. and able to produce it. But yet we're also, the idea is, is to actually go the other direction unless you create an aesthetic uh, that people like uh, and want to buy. Um, if you do that, then you're probably not going to do as well. Yeah. And yeah, so it's kind of like this whole thing. It's like, well, the 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 allure, I think, of of AI art is that you're able to uh, produce a lot of images cheaply. Yeah. But the um, but the reason you want to produce a lot of images cheaply is because the feeling that you need images in your product to be able to sell your product. Yeah. But you know, going back thirty years ago. Nobody knew you could afford it, and nobody expected it, other than just an occasional flip here or there. Yeah. You know, I mean, when I when I like, you know, now I find artists on on now artists. Thankfully, some of them come and find me. Um, but when I started, I would find them on Instagram. But uh, you know, I think back to when I used to go to gaming stores in the uh, in the eighties and nineties, and there would be a be a, a you know, signposted that said, uh, 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 character, uh, character portrait, uh, commission artist. And so you would, it, there would be a person that, you know, had stuck a thing on the board with the little pull tabs. And, uh, if you wanted to, uh, get your character, uh, uh, rendered in, uh, in, uh, pen and ink, um, by somebody that was capable, you would pay money to somebody whose phone number you pulled down from the uh, the wall at the game store. Um, so it's just it's just interesting, you know, you know, some some developments have been for the better for artists and for everyone involved in some developments. It's like, eh. um, we'll, we'll see how this we'll see how this all shakes out in the end. But yeah, going back real quick to the typewriter. It just made me think about here in Milwaukee uh, this month, there is a typewriter fest uh, where uh, it's going to be a, a one day event in celebration of creating on a typewriter. I really am tempted and maybe I will do this someday is I would like to kind of go old school, which I've never done with uh, with with the zine mm -hmm. and maybe even maybe even because uh, I wouldn't do it because my, my typing was so terrible in school but maybe even hire somebody to uh to actually use a typewriter to type the whole thing out and scan it in i i one of the the punks that i was uh, friends with back in chicago when i was living there uh he was really into the punk scene culture and he decided to uh just do um a couple of pages of his originally he was going to do the entire zine with a typewriter and then he switched to just doing a couple of pages because he realized 
how much more work, especially as somebody who was not uh, a a capable typist, uh, to to do um, even just a few pages using a typewriter um, that wasn't just a bunch of X's over things. Or yeah, well, the other thing people probably don't realize that are are too young is that once you got to the end of a line, a bell would ring, and that yep. bell would tell you you only have so many characters left, and you're at the end. Yep. So at that point, you better figure out if you're going to need to hyphenate or not hyphenate. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I remember this. I, uh, it's, it's funny, uh, you know, going back to the, that collection of, uh, of, um, uh, ephemera from the seventies and eighties, I have a couple of the card backs from, uh, the, uh, the, uh, Star Wars figures from the time I have like Lando Calrissian and Boba Fett and a couple others and the proof of purchase seals are cut out. And I remember my mom sitting me down at the typewriter and me writing the letter myself uh, on the typewriter to Kenner, um, sending my five or six proof of purchase seals to get my Boba Fett with the with the uh, launching missile that, of course, um, had been uh, recalled or whatever before it was was ever ever shipped um so that that was right at the time when they they had the the kids choking on the uh choking hazard yes i was telling somebody about that the other day yeah no i I mean that was like like between that like i had a bunch of micronaut uh action figures that uh had launching things yes yes uh, but, uh, but yeah, you know, I sat there at the, at the typewriter with my mom's, my mom's guidance and I typed out letters to Kenner, um, and Hasbro and what have you in order to send my proof of purchase seals to get X, Y, or Z special offer. And, um, yeah, it, it was a lot more work than sitting at your, your word processor, even on a Commodore 64, which was what we graduated to from there. And then with a dot matrix printer to, you know, what we have today, but. Yeah. Quite an ordeal. So, yeah. And, and I, I think, right. It is so much time. Um, and that might be something I might pursue. I don't know. It seems like there's a number of people who have kind of done retro, like even with, with mothership with the art style, you yeah. know, of just kind of a really, um, I don't know, more simplistic, but it, it definitely is a more, uh, um, I don't know how to describe it. It's sketchy. <laughs> it's, 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 yeah, very sketchy. Yes, it's, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's sketches. Yeah, but it's, obviously, they, the, the amount of time they spend layout was tremendous. So, oh, um, yeah, without a doubt. <laughs> so, I don't know. Yeah, that maybe I think of a project we'll, we'll see. Uh, put it in it's, the, it's, in, it's definitely worth toying with to see if, you you sh- you should try doing like uh doing like a pamphlet encounter and just use you know tr- first practice with typing and then do like just a pamphlet using the typewriter and see if you could handle going at it for anything longer than that no i'll i'll pay <laughs> but I'm, the thing i want to do is i'd actually pay somebody to type oh geez. no i'm not going to type i am no <laughs> good night i am terrible terrible i don't mind there being mistakes but even just i'm a reasonably quick typer uh but i still make a lot of mistakes while i'm typing so it's it's no oh my goodness i don't know maybe i I don't know i think it's also there's a certain impetuousness that i have too i don't know if i could click 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 because i would be much slower and it kind of eats at me (laughs) yeah 
I get that. But you're right. I think doing the pamphlet, I was trying to think how I could do this, but um, who knows? Maybe uh, a pamphlet would, would be a, a good way of, of doing that. Yeah. Do, do, a, uh, do a, a pamphlet connected to Scoundrels of Brixton. Yeah, that's kind of, it's going to be interesting. Um, and that's another thing I've not really have looked at is, is pamphlets, um, which I probably need to. Yeah, I just, there's a lot of things to explore. Yeah. There's a lot of spaghetti to throw at walls. It's yeah. just, uh, um, and that seems to be a, a very reasonable way. Cause I thought about doing like a trifold um, uh, format for something. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's a fun challenge. Uh, like I, the first one I did cacophonous bandits. I just, I, the, some people will do an entire adventure on a pamphlet and I'm like, um, I'm just going to do an encounter because that, and even with that, I felt like I was const- so constrained with what I wanted to say. And so then I did a, a second one, which became Desperation of the Hungry, which is now a 20 page zine. But the original version of it that I, I ran for uh, the first couple of play tests was on a pamphlet. And I was like, I need more information on here. And so then it became a 20 page zine. Yeah. And I've, yeah, and I, I've had that happen where it's, it's project uh, a scope creep. So yeah. but it, and I think having constraints does has a thing. I, it's just that you didn't have the right product for a pamphlet, apparently, mm-hmm. to, to have uh, 20 of it. Yeah, and some people are able to condense things down and be fine. It's kind of just interestingly, uh, you know, even scopes for adventures from, you know, people writing incredibly verbose styles to people being incredibly sparse. And there's a market for, for yeah. both and everything in between. But... Uh, it's just trying to figure where, where that sweet spot is, but I guess it's a certain amount of personality and what we're wanting for our product. And I guess what the customers want. Yeah. You know, that's, you know, one of the things that, that I ran into and I, I apologize, I, we're, we're, we're getting long. Um, but, uh, but uh, the, uh, when I did desperation of the hungry as a pamphlet, it's like the, the thing was, is that it, it's an encounter of uh you know it's basically bandits attacking a house and you defending defending the house and essentially it was one of those things where if i did it if i kept it in pamphlet form without giving giving you know much explanation it would be the same as any other generic bandit encounter and it was only when making it more prescriptive all right, this is what they're going to, the bandits are going to do on round one. This is what the bandits are going to do on round two. This is what they're going to do on round three. And this is what they're going to do on round four. Because on one hand, the GM can make up all that stuff. And a, 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 a really imaginative GM will take those bits and pieces and the names and just little personality bits, and they'll craft it into something on the fly. And then there will be other people that will look at that pamphlet and it'll just be another throwaway encounter. And I didn't want it to be a throwaway encounter. I wanted it to be something memorable. And so I turned it into this prescriptive thing. Well, the thing is, if I'm going to buy something, I want it to be, you know, I want that person's personality to come through. I don't, I don't want to be, I mean, and for me, you know, that's how you also learn that, you know, if if you, if you want, um, you know, Whoever you're buying from you, it, it right, just a random general account doesn't really mean much. But if you want the adventure to be such that somebody else would have written and have that experience of running it 
and for people to play in that that's you know it's kind of like going back to to some of these old modules it's like you know the stuff that i don't i really don't think that a lot of the gary gygax novels are our modules were necessarily that interesting but they do especially certain ones provide a certain experience yeah and you know you could change them up and modernize and do whatever you know, that's not the experience of what was it like to run, you know, a Gary Gygax module, you know, yeah. and what, you know, so not that everyone, every module has to be ran that way or you have to run every one, but, you know, sometimes you just want to run it and say, you know, this, I played in a James Ward game, you know, mm-hmm. uh, of Gamma World fame. Yeah. And I've, I had certain ideas about Gamma World. I heard people saying other things about Gamma World, like, oh, it's just a joke and, and, you know, it's, it was wacky the whole time which I didn't, when I was playing it when I was younger, I didn't feel it was wacky. I mean, it's unusual, it was weird, yep. but it wasn't, there's was no ha-ha. Yep. And then I, I played it with James Ward, James Ward, which wasn't Gamma World, but some kind of like Gamma World. I realized, no, those people are wrong. Uh, there was no ha-ha-ha. It, it is played straight. It is very much a very lethal, yeah, they're bunny rabbits. Yes, they'll turn your guns into rubber, but they'll just kill you just the same. And they're, they're, they're not well, like, <laughs> there's no joke. There's no yeah. like punchline, <laughs> but it, but there's value in playing that. I don't necessarily want to play in James Ward games anymore, but I got to play in one and I got to yeah. you know experience what that meant. Yeah, you know, that's that, that's that's an issue. Uh, like I was, I I watched um, the first half <laughs> because I got tired and fell asleep. But I watched the first half of uh, the D and D movie. Uh, I streamed it last night, uh, the new one, and. Um, a lot of people really like that movie. They're really, really happy with it in terms of, you know, what it provided. And uh, I thought it was too silly. Like, I know that things get silly at, even, you know, even at my game table with my grim, dark content. I don't need to write comedy in to my content because the players are going to inject that all on their own. Right. Um, but. Uh, because they wanted to in the movie capture uh there were a couple of things that were said that were like witty banter that i would expect at the game table and that was something that they were trying to capture with this movie but a lot of it just felt too silly to me um but i guess that's because that's that's not how i see D. it's just something that they they leaned into something that happens at the table, but isn't necessarily what happens all the time. At well, night. yeah. And I think I've not seen it. Um, I do want to see it. Yeah. Um, but the movie wasn't for us. No. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I know. I know some 20 year olds that absolutely loved it. Yeah. Yeah. It's for the non gamers mainly. Yeah. With a, with a, a few tokens thrown in for us. Yeah, it's weird. It's it's hard to probably find the fantasy movies that we're we're really looking for, but um, but they, they wanted Guardians of the Galaxy is what they wanted. They wanted a billion dollar movie. Yeah. So, whereas and, the new Guardians of the Galaxy, I, I I I paid the money to go see that in the theater, and I absolutely loved it. Yes, I saw your I saw your Twitter response. <laughs> but but it, it it's because it is a movie that I didn't think would exist because it's, it's basically an animal rights movie um, because it's all about uh, the, the torture that uh, that rocket raccoon went through. So. 
Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm he- he- heavy themes, but with all of the thrown it, all of the lighthearted chosen family uh, guardians of the galaxy uh, banter thrown in. Well, the thing is, is it, 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 I have not seen it yet um, that either. Um, but I think in some ways, it, there are good ways to 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 pe- for people to put out their viewpoints in a way that's entertaining and somewhat serious. Mm-hmm. Or not when I say serious, not demeaning in a way. Yep. But but not also come over as like overly preachy. And I think that's probably the better way to reach people than to just kind of some stuff. It's just like 10 people over the head, or it's yeah. like it's like well, that's that's one of the interesting like I, I looked it up after um to, to I'm like, is James Gunn vegan? And uh, the response that I saw were that his brother is uh is uh in most of his movies and is either vegan or vegetarian but there was no indication that that james gunn leans that way and there's like an an an, one of the post-credit scenes like pulls the punch of uh of of the movie by there's like a bunch of animals charging towards uh rocket raccoon and, uh, and the new guardians of the galaxy and uh one of the characters says don't you feel bad about Killing these innocent animals and Rocket Raccoon just kind of gives a shrug. And so it really kind of like un, you know, somebody responded on Twitter that it kind of undermined some of the messages in the movie. But I think that's because the person that was that was making this movie liked the themes. Yeah, and they probably came from the from the the comics, but wasn't necessarily trying to make an animal rights movie. Um but they have enough of a context base from I'm sure the stories in, in the comic book, um, you know, leaned into certain things about vivisection and what have you. And then, um, the, they just wanted to make a movie about this tragic storyline, not really thinking about the, the broader implications. Of it. Well, it's kind of interesting. Cause I just, uh, we finished watching, uh, I finished watching. We just, we watched, um, Nope. Yep. Uh, and it's my first actually I think Jordan Peele film I've I've seen, mm-hmm. uh, and and then having after having watched it, then I saw you know I want to understand like what was these different things he was going after, mm-hmm. and then somebody kind of posted all these different themes, and they also said well and he also just just wanted to make a summer horror movie, yeah, and I thought you know this really works this is really perfect, yeah, you know it's like the theme here, the theme here and the theme here, like that's, that is really cool, but it's also just a very enjoyable movie. And there was nothing hitting over the head, but yet if you want to look, there are things there, maybe not in the foreground, but it's just like, yeah, it's, it's reflecting on it. It's like, yeah, there's, I, that's really kind of cool. Whether or not that was his intent on all these things, uh, maybe not, but it, it it's fun when you can have layers uh, to shows, but yeah, I think Nick, I think you're right. We're hitting a you're getting close to the time space continuum. <laughs> yeah, I, I can talk. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's as bad as the uh, there's a one fellow um uh um uh, the silly that we went for three hours. It was yeah. insane. Um, but anyway, uh, but anyway, thanks for joining. Uh, I have to have you on again. Yeah, it was it was, it was awesome rambling with you. Yes, yes, we went full ramble. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, uh, 
Yeah. And so you got Kickstarter's not going on right now, but uh, coming someday in the future. Yeah. The, uh, the next thing is going to be about elementalists, uh, wizards that, that focus on elemental magic. Um, Oh, it ties ties into standard content, um, but uh, uh, that will be either late this month or early July. Uh, so I'm planning July for Gary's Appendix Three. So awesome! So who knows? Maybe we'll be uh, we'll be competing the dollars. Maybe we'll have to have you on for that too. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> I, I, I'd love to. Okay. Well, you take care, Nick. Yeah, you too. <laughs>